Good morning. We're continuing our series, What's Your Story? And uh, if you have a Bible with you, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 26. I'm going to read uh, a passage out of Deuteronomy 26, and then I'm going to read uh, just one verse in 2 Corinthians 8. As we continue uh, this series we've been in for the last couple of weeks, uh, would you stand with me as we give our attention to God's Word in Deuteronomy chapter 26, verses 1 through 11? When you come into the land that the Lord our God, that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance, and you have taken possession of it and live in it, you shall take some of the first of all of the fruit of the ground which you harvest from your land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall put it in a basket, and you shall go to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name to dwell there. And you shall go to the priest who is in office at that time and say to him, I declare today to the Lord, to the Lord your God, that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. And you shall make response before the Lord your God. A wandering Aramean was my father, and he went down into Egypt and sojourned there, few in number, and there he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid on us hard labor. Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And behold, now I bring you the first of the ground, which you, O Lord, have given me. And you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship the Lord your God before the Lord your God. And you shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given you, given to you and to your house, you and the Levite and the sojourner who is among you. Now, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. The Apostle Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by your poverty he might become rich. Sorry, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. This is God's word. Will you pray with me? God, would you speak to us through these words written many, many, many years ago? Would you help us to see how your uh, faithfulness and your goodness to your people uh, throughout centuries and generations, uh, you have manifested your goodness to us. You have been faithful and you have been generous. Please help us to respond to you with generous hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated, please. Well, I want to start by asking you a question uh, this morning. And I'm going to put this somewhat pointedly. The question is this. What are you doing with your life? What are you doing with your life? What is the goal uh, towards which your life is headed? What's the purpose for which God has put you on this planet. I heard um, a story about a, a man who was, um, he was in the military, he spent 10 years in the military, and uh, after 10 years, many of those serving overseas in Iraq and, uh, and other places, 
He said, now that I'm out of the military, every day I struggle with this sense of purposelessness, of, of what is my life, what am I doing in my li- with my life? He said, I was 18 years old when uh, Uncle Sam kind of scooped me up and, and trained me and uh, sent me overseas and gave me a purpose. And I, I woke up every day with a very clear sense of what my mission for the day was. Uh, and I was surrounded by... Uh, by you know, the sense of brotherhood with other, other men that I was serving in the military with. And he said, um, you know, every day I had a mission that I believed in, and it was dangerous, and yet I had camaraderie. And now it's all over. Now he's out of the military, and he said, now I'm struggling to know what to do with my life, uh, because nothing seems quite as important as what I've already done. What is the mission of your life? What's the thing that gets you up in the morning? What's the thing that keeps you going? What's the thing that all of your life is headed towards? You know, treadmills, um, how's that transition right there? Treadmills, we're going to talk about treadmills now. Treadmills are, I read this article about treadmills. Treadmills are like the most popular piece of exercise equipment. And we think of treadmills as like if you want to work out and be comfortable at the same time, right? Treadmill, perfect. Air conditioning while, uh, while running. But um, treadmills have not always, actually, I think it was only like in the 80s that treadmills really became a popular piece of exercise equipment. And um, in in the Victorian area, treadmills were used as punishment in prisons prisons in Great Britain. And um, they would just put prisoners on treadmills. And all day long, it was punishment. They would just walk uphill. And, um, and you know, they just, all day long, you're just walking, you're walking, walking, walking. And at the end of the day, prisoners would be exhausted. They've spent all this energy, and they haven't moved at all. They haven't accomplished anything. They're exactly in the same place that they started. And I think that there's a way of living life that's a lot like walking on a treadmill, where there's a lot of movement, there's a lot of activity, there's a lot of energy that we spend. And we can get really good at running around and doing lots of things, and yet at the end of the day, we haven't actually accomplished anything. We haven't moved anywhere. Um, Your life would be a terrible thing to waste, wouldn't it? So what mission are you living for? Are you living for a purpose? Or are you just kind of doing the treadmill thing? walking and walking and walking and busy and busy and busy and yet not actually accomplishing any of anything. Many of us today in the culture that we live in think that the highest, you know, the best thing for us would be to live a life of comfort and ease, wouldn't it? Um, and then I, in the uh, 1640s, during the Protestant Reformation, and uh, the Reformation was a time in which the Christian church really rediscovered the Bible and said, what is, what is God actually saying to his people through his word? And a bunch of brilliant uh, pastors and theologians got together to summarize the teaching of the Bible in, uh, in what's called the Westminster Confession. And they asked the first question that they asked, this foundational question, what is the goal of life? What is the, what is the purpose that we were created for? And, uh, and when we are working towards, our life takes on meaning. And um, the way that they said this, because they were you know, in the 16th century, uh, 17th century, they said, uh, the question was, what is the chief end of man? What is our mission? What is our purpose? And the answer that they gave to that question, based on what the Bible says, is the, uh, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Right? That's, where, that's what we were, that is the mission that we were created for. 
Um, we, we were created to enjoy God, right? To know Him, to, uh, to enjoy His goodness. And as we, uh, as we glorify Him, we, we enjoy Him. That's what we mean when we say that our church, um, as a church, that our goal is to help people move beyond being busy and fine by connecting with God. Our goal is to help um, set people free from sort of the treadmill way of living, where there's lots of frenetic activity and busyness that produces nothing of meaning. We want to help you live a life of meaning and purpose. We want to help you glorify God. We want to help you enjoy God. Um, And that's what we're trying to do as a church. And that's what this series is all about. What's your story? Because we believe that when we, when we begin to understand our story in light of God's story and who he is, that that's when life begins to move beyond busy and fine. And, um, and so that's why we're here. That's why we're here, to help you connect with God. So how do you connect with God? Well, I've said the last several weeks, there's a simple plan. It's not easy, but it's simple. There's four simple steps. The first thing you've got to do is you've got to go to church. Uh, I, I, I know that, uh, you know, there's all kinds of, you know, you counter, we could talk about that, but at the, I know no other way. If you, have 90, if you only have one slot a week to connect with God, you've got to clear your schedule and make it to church on Sunday morning. You've got to plug in and recharge. There is simply no way to live the Christian life without regular involvement in the life of a worshiping community. The second step is to connect with other people. Don't just bump into people, but, but actually connect and get to know um, other Christians, but non-Christians too. Because if you only know Christians, it makes you weird. Um, because change always happens in relationship. And then the third step we said is that uh, you've got to serve. You've got to live for something beyond yourself. That life actually, uh, the key to depression is just focusing on yourself. And the key to living a life that glorifies God and enjoys God is living a life directed outwards towards other people. And the fourth step is you've got to give. Okay? The fourth step has to do with your money, your finances. Because you've got to put your treasure where your heart is. Now, I know you're thinking, okay, I knew it. <laughs> I knew there was going to be a catch. We're going to talk about money. Now, let me just say, this is the fourth step, okay? This isn't the first step. And so, if you're a person, you're saying, I'm trying to connect with God, don't start with step four. Um, start with step one. If you're not doing steps one, two, and three, don't start with step four. We are not after your money. We are not after your money. But I have to say, and I, maybe this is something of a confession, that as a church, we are going to be a church where occasionally we talk about money. I know that a lot of people are wary of, of churches talking about money, and I, I get it. I totally get it. Um, I, I will also say that for, for me as a pastor, it has been a point of pride for me that I never talk about money. And what I realized and have realized is two things. One, the Bible talks about money a lot. Uh, Jesus talked about money more than almost anything else. And so if we're not going to be a church that talks about money, um, we're just going to have to ignore like vast portions of the Bible. But the second thing is that money and how we spend our money, it really is a key um, part of what it means to follow Jesus in everyday life. Um, I, I know for myself, I rarely go a day without spending money. Um, I rarely, ha- rarely have a waking hour where I don't think about money or spend money. And so if the gospel is, is something that doesn't just affect, you know, an hour or two of our week, but the gospel is the good news of God's grace to us in Jesus that affects all of our lives, every aspect, and it's going to push back the darkness of the whole world and enter into every nook and cranny of our lives. 
then it's going to affect the way that we spend our money. Because money and how we spend our money is a big part of our lives. What I know is this, that if you come to church, if you're connecting with other people, if you are serving, then you are connecting to God and you are growing in your faith, with, in your relationship with Him. And if that's happening, that you're going to want to put your treasure where your heart is. You know, um, when you go to the gym and you sign up for a membership, uh, obviously you pay to go to a gym because the gym's got to make money to you know, stay in business. But part of the reason why it's good to pay for a gym membership is when you haven't gone for six weeks, you're like, I've invested in this, right? My money is there, so it pulls me back. And in the same way, if we are connecting with God, we're going to want to put our treasure where our heart already is because God is good to us. I believe that we can talk about money without making people feel ashamed. So let's try to do that this morning, okay? This morning I want to look at what does the Bible say about living a generous life. And uh, there's this passage that I read in Deuteronomy 26 that is, is just a really uh, important passage for understanding what the Bible has to say about living a generous life. And so I want you to see three things about what it means to be a generous uh, person. And the first thing that I want you to see is that, um, that we are to give sacrificially, that we are to give of our first fruits, that we don't give of our surplus, of what we have left over, but we give um, of what comes first. Deuteronomy 26, verse 2 it says, You shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground which you harvest from your land that the Lord your God has given you, and you shall put it in a basket, and you shall go to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name to dwell there. You shall take some of the first fruit of the ground. Now, uh, obviously, this is talking about the context of an agricultural agrarian society. And in that world... Uh, the reality is that most of your wealth uh, comes in a, in, a, in a very short time period, right? You, you, you plant seed, you work the ground, you water, you, uh, you're patient, you wait all year, and then in you know, a month maybe you harvest and you collect all, all, you bring all of the wealth that you have worked for all, all year. It all comes in at one time. And the tendency, what would seem to be the natural or maybe the logical thing to do in that context would be to say, I'm going to wait until everything has come in to see how much I have before I decide what I'm going to give. And there's a certain logic to that. And uh, looking at you, you, most of you don't look like you've been you know, working on a farm anytime recently. But uh, there's a sense in which that still holds true for us. Um, you know, there are, there are uh, uh, investments, financial investments, and we don't know, you know, what they're gonna, how, when they're going to pay off, and so we wait to see. Or there's bonuses that come at the end of the year. Or if you're a business owner, you might not know how much your, your company made until the end of the year, or if you're just a, you know, if you're a partner. Um, and so there, there's this logic, there's this tendency to say, um, I'm going to wait until everything comes in. I'm going to see how much I make. And then I'm going to decide what to give away. But God says, no, that's not what I want you to do. God says, I want you to give of the first fruits. He says, I want you to decide in advance what you're going to give. Because if you wait until the end, all you're going to give is of the surplus. Um, if you wait until the end, all you're going to do is you're going to give what you think you can afford to give. Uh, which, is, which is essentially to say, what you're going to give to God is of your leftovers. 
And God says, I don't want you to give after everything else has come in. I want you to give of your first fruits. I don't want you to give of your leftovers. I want you to give of your first fruits. Decide in advance how much to give. Uh, decide in advance how much you're going to give to charity, how much you're going to give to ministry, and then give that of your first fruits. Because giving, um, I think what God is getting at here is that giving, in order for it to be meaningful, giving has to be sacrificial. Love is always sacrificial. The essence of love is self-sacrifice. And that means that our giving has to be, if our giving is going to be meaningful, and if our giving was actually going to be an act of love, it has to be, it has to be sacrificial. Our giving has to, um, I mean, another way to say this is, if we're really taking seriously what the Bible says about being generous people, um, it ha- we have to give in a way that actually affects our lifestyle. We have to give in a way that, that we say, you know, there are things that I would like to do that I'm not going to be able to do because I have been so generous. Um, there are bigger houses that I'm not going to buy. There are bigger cars, nicer cars that I'm not going to drive. There are clothes that I'm not going to wear because I'm giving to God of my first fruits, not of my leftovers. Um, you know, Ashley and I have made the decision that, that wherever we are, whatever church we're a part of, um, whether I'm the pastor there or not, we're going we're gonna to give generously to our church. And, um, the, you know, the truth of that is that's a scary thing to say. <laughs> but we've never, we've never gone hungry. We've never missed it. Our kids have never missed a meal. Uh, it doesn't mean we've never been scared. It doesn't mean we haven't said, God, I don't know how um, you're going to provide. It certainly means there are things that we've wanted to do that we couldn't do. Uh, but we've never regretted it. We've nev- God has been faithful to us. We've never said, gosh, I really wish we hadn't written that check to the church this month. Uh, God asks us to give of our first fruits. Okay, let me just pause right there and say, how do you like the sermon so far? <laughs> um, see, this is why I didn't tell you what all four steps in the plan were like six weeks ago. Because <laughs> nobody would come to church today. So stick with me because there's two more points, okay? Um, Give of your first fruits. But secondly, God says, connect your giving to the gospel. Give joyfully. Don't just give out of duty, but give out of thankfulness because God has been good to you. Deuteronomy 26.1 says this, When you come into the land that the Lord your God is going to give you, or is giving you for an inheritance, and then when you have taken possession of it, that's when you're to give. Um, and then you know, he goes on and he talks about this you know, when you give, you're supposed to say, my father was a wandering Aramean. And everybody's going, wait, what? <laughs> what he's saying is when you give, you are retelling the story of God's faithfulness to his people. My father, the wandering Aramean, was Abraham, the, you know, the father of the faith in many ways. Um, when you give, you are telling of God's faithfulness to his people for thousands and thousands of years. And when you give, you are talking, you are telling of God's faithfulness to you and you're giving as an act of thankfulness, as an act of gratitude. When you give, you've got to connect your giving to the gospel. Um, what, what God is saying here is that everything that you have is a gift. You know, uh, you give when God has brought you into the land because the land that God gave you is a gift. And therefore, everything that comes from the land is a gift. And therefore, everything that you have is a gift. Now, you might be thinking, I can hear somebody thinking, well, that might be true if I was an Israelite and I'd, been a, I'd never been a slave, though. I never came out of Egypt. 
Uh, God never gave me any land. I'm not a farmer. And I worked really hard for what I have. And sure, of course you have. But um, what, did, what have you worked really hard with? You know, I've worked really hard with my creativity, with my talents, with my passions, with my intelligence. Okay, good. Yeah, that's great. And where did you get those you know, passions and creativity and intelligence. Um, you got them from God, right? You say, well, I went to school and I studied and I've worked really hard. Of course, of course you have. But you were also able to do that because you were born in a place that allowed you to go to school. You know, if you were born in like, a, you know, the Andes in Peru on the side of a mountain, uh, you would have worked really, really hard and it wouldn't have made a difference. If you were born in Outer Mongolia in the Middle Ages, you wouldn't have gone to school. They didn't have schools. <laughs> there was nowhere to go to college. Um, everything that you have is a gift. You didn't choose when to be born. You didn't choose the family to be born into. Um, you didn't choose the opportunities that would be available to you. Now, you don't need to apologize for them, but you have a lot to be thankful for. We have a lot to be thankful for. And God says, give as an act of gratitude. Everything you have is a gift. Everything that you have comes as a result of a gift. So give out of what God has given to you and be joyful. Connect your giving to the gospel to say thank you. Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And what I think that means is this, whatever your heart most treasures is where your money will go effortlessly. Whatever your heart most treasures, your money will flow to. You know, some things are really easy to, to give money to, uh, you know, to spend money on, I should say, and other things are really painful. Um, you know, th there are some things that you just, you know, you, you just don't want to do it. You don't want to pay anything. Like, I hate paying for the toll road. It's like, oh, well, I don't want to spend eight bucks to drive to Newport Beach. Like, what a waste. Um, but my house, on the other hand, like, I have, to, I have to, you know, make a con, you know, I, I could easily spend too much money on my house. Easily. Um, I, you know, I, I can buy tools, I can buy supplies, I can buy, we can, you know, everything. We just bought our house, so we've got this never-ending to-do list, and we love working on our house. And it's really, really easy for me to spend too much money on my house. Because our money just flows joyfully and easily and effortlessly to the things that we love really easy for me to spend too much money on my house. Now, how do you know what your heart, um, what's really in your heart? Well, Jesus says it's easy. Just look at the way you spend your money. The things that you easily and effortlessly spend your money on reveal what's really in your heart. If you say, you know, I'm, a, I'm saying this to Christians. Um, I'm not assuming everybody here is a Christian, so if you're, you know, I'm saying this to you if you're a Christian. If you're saying, I believe that Jesus rose from the dead, I believe that my future is secure because of him. I believe that the truth of the Bible is the most important thing in the world, but this sermon is driving me nuts. Then guess what? You may believe that um, everything that you have you know, is a gift from God and that Jesus really rose from the dead, but you're not living out of that experientially in the day-to-day -day realities of your life. Your heart is not resting in Jesus. You may believe that he rose from the dead, but day to day, you're not resting in his, in his grace. If you're living out of a vital connection to God, if you are knowing his goodness and enjoying him in, in, in the every day of your life, then your heart, you will become a generous person. You just will. 
uh, you will find it easy to give of your time and your treasure and your talents. And you might say, I mean, is it really true that there's somebody who says, I have to be careful when I go to church because I might give away too much money? Um, actually, yes. Uh, I, I talked a while back with a man who said, every, about this time of year, tax season, he says, every year is the time when I get to see how much money my wife gave away last year. Um, I mean, that's, uh, that doesn't happen in my house, but... Um, uh, you know, that's a cool thing. That's a, that's, a, that's a frightening thing, but that's a cool thing to see that, that it's really true that um, there are people who, who, who experientially live out of a connection with Jesus day to day that actually transforms them into generous people. And they say, I have to watch myself to make sure I don't give away too much money. Think about it like this. Imagine falling in love. Maybe, you know, most of you looking around, most of you have fallen in, lo- in love with someone at some point in your life. And, uh, and you know what it's like when you fall in love. You, uh, you want to be with this person. You're consumed by this person. Every, you know, you want to spend all your time with this person. When you're not with them, you want to, you think about them. You want to talk to them. You can talk for hours and hours and hours. And eventually you say to this person, I love you and I want to spend the rest of my life with you. But let's just get one thing straight. I don't want this relationship to ever cost me anything. Right? That would be crazy, right? And if anyone ever says that to you, run in the other direction, right? The essence of love is self-sacrifice. Love bears one another's burdens. Love, um, you know, bears each other's expenses. That's just the nature and reality of love. And if we say we're following Jesus and we're trusting him with our lives, but, you know, we're going to hold on to our money, then that's, that's, that's saying something about what's actually going on in our hearts, you know, uh, we sing this song from time to time. It's your breath in our lungs. So I pour out my praise. I pour out my praise. It's a beautiful picture. It's a great song, right? It's a beautiful picture that everything I have, everything I have is God's. Even the breath that's in my lungs belongs to God. Now imagine if we change that line to it's your cash in my bank account. So I pour out my praise. I pour out my praise. Or what did we sing? Um, Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy praise, but you can have my money when you pry it from my cold, dead fingers. It just doesn't quite have the ring to it, right? The question that we're dealing with today isn't really money. The question is this, what, is, what do you treasure? What do you truly treasure? We will either be ruled by something from which we will derive temporary satisfaction, or we will serve a father who loves us. But we cannot have both. God's not against money. God's not against things. Things are great. God gives you things because he loves you. But we have a tendency to become obsessed with the thing and not with the, the one who gives the thing. Generosity protects me from thinking that only the things that I, that I think are important are actually important. Generosity connects me with every good thing that the church is doing, and generosity allows me to share in the struggle uh, of things when they're difficult. You know, if I'm not connected, if I don't have a financial interest in what the church is doing, then when the church struggles, it's really easy to just bounce. But like that gym membership, if I'm invested in it, when the church is struggling, I'm going to work because I want to fix it, because I'm invested in it. Generosity protects me from merely being a taker. 
Our money will always flow easily and effortlessly towards whatever has our heart. And when God is our treasure, we recognize, when we recognize that all that we have is from Him, when we see His beauty and His love for what it really is, it makes us generous people because He'll be our treasure. Now you might be saying, okay, like I, I get it, I'm with you, I sort of, like it makes sense-ish. But I don't know how I could ever do that. Like practically, I don't know how I could actually become a generous person. And so the third thing that I want you to see is this, that God gives graciously. God gives graciously. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. The Bible never try to, tries to motivate us uh, to give out of guilt or shame or by kind of giving us like a 10-step plan to become a generous person. Um, the Bible always motivates believers to give by reminding us of the gospel, by reminding us that, that the essence of the gospel is that God gave to us. In John 3.16, the most famous, well-known verse in the Bible says, God loved the world in this way that he gave. He gave. God loves us in this way that he gave. Um, what did God give? You know, the Old Testament, the standard was that God, God's people gave a tithe, one-tenth, ten percent of everything that they had to God. But God doesn't tithe himself to us. God gives us himself. God comes to us in the flesh. God gave us his only son, he gave sacrificially. He gave beyond the point of what he could afford. He gave to the point where it cost him personally. Jesus didn't just give us his leftovers, didn't just give us just enough, but he gave, he didn't give just enough in a way that would affect his lifestyle, but he gave to the point that it actually cost him his life. Heard a story about a little boy who wanted to give his mother a Christmas gift. And so he went to his mom and he said, Mom, what do you want for Christmas? And she told him. And he said, okay, um, mom, can you take me to the mall? And so his mom drove him to the mall. And they got to the mall, and he's getting out of the car, and he said, mom, I don't have any money. Could I have some money? And so his mom gave him some money, and he goes into the mall, and he bought what his mom told him that she wanted. And then he went and got back in the car, and his mom took him home. And he got home, he said, mom, I don't know how to wrap a Christmas present. And so his mom wrapped the Christmas present, and he put it under the tree, and on Christmas morning, his mom opened the present that she had told him that she wanted, she had taken him to the store to buy, that she had paid for, that she wrapped herself, and she opened this gift and said, thank you, son. This is exactly what I wanted. I love you so much. <laughs> and that's a picture of the gospel. God has given you everything. He created you. He created you to know him. When, when we rebelled against him in our sin, he doesn't just write us off, he doesn't do just enough, but he comes and he finds us and he says, I love you. And he pays the expense, he pays the cost in his life in order to make us his own, in order to bring us back to himself. That's the gospel. God has given everything for you. The gospel enables us to look at Jesus and say, we can look at Jesus and say, if you gave to the point that it cost you your life, then I can give to the point where it affects my life. God 
is the one who is generous. He doesn't tithe himself. He doesn't just give up his first fruits. He gives everything to us. God gives generously. So practically, in, in the last minute or two, what, is, what, is, what does this look like, okay? Just you know, boil it down. What, how much are we talking about? What, what, what should this look like? Well, I want, I want you to hear me say two things. That One is that there's nowhere in the Bible that says everything you give needs to go to your local church. Um, you know, I, I think that if this is your church, I think you should give to, to Resurrection OC. But in no way does, does the Bible say, give all that you give to Resurrection OC. I think the other thing that the Bible does not say, the Bible does not make a hard and fast line in the New Testament that says, you must give 10% to the church. Um, but here's what I want, here's what I want to say. That, that every church, every healthy church has three kinds of people. Every church that's healthy has people, in regard to finances at least, who are generous, has people who are faithful, and has people who are struggling. Uh, and that, that's just reality. And uh, every, every church that's healthy has people who are generous. And, um, and some of you are very generous. Some of you have been very generous with your finances. And I want to encourage you, and I want to thank you, and I want to encourage you to continue being a generous person. And I want to encourage you to resist the temptation to be proud of your generosity. Uh, because I think one of the problems with the, the principle of the tithe is that I can look at what I give and say, well, I'm meeting this standard, and therefore I, you know, I'm doing a great job. And to become proud of that. And um, I heard somebody say, you know, when Jesus, uh, when Zacchaeus, the tax collector, he's a wealthy man, he meets Jesus, and... Um, and his life is changed by Jesus. And Zacchaeus says, Jesus, I'm going to give away half of my wealth to the poor. And Jesus does not say to Zacchaeus, no, no Zacchaeus, only 10%. Like, that's all that's required. Right? Um, there, there, there is no, there's no minimum to what Jesus says um, believers ought to give. Uh, and there's no maximum to what he says believers ought to give either. Um, so to those of you who are generous, thank you for, for your generosity and continue to be, to be a generous person. Others of us are faithful. Some of us haven't been given the means to be kind of like over and above generous givers. Um, and yet faithful giving makes a difference. Faithful giving uh, is incredibly important. Um, many of us give sporadically. I asked the finance team, I asked Carl, who, who's kind of the, the, you know, the, the director of the finance team, if he would run some numbers on our, on our giving and tell me anything he thought was interesting. <laughs> and and the, one of the things that Carl said was this. He said, uh, you know, there, there's some of us who, who give sporadically. And, you know, maybe whatever that amount is, maybe, maybe we give $20 or we give $50 or we give $100 or we give $1,000, whatever the amount is, but we give it sporadically. And if you took those sporadic numbers and regularized them and gave that number um, every month, that would increase the monthly income at this point of Resurrection OC by $1,125 a month. So well over $12,000 a year, giving would increase just by being faithful. Just by being faithful. Giving the amount that, in a sense, in a sense we've already decided to give, but just doing it with greater faithfulness, with greater regularity. And so if you are a faithful giver, I would encourage you to consider um, just make, put it, you can set up, you can go on our website, you can set up an automatic um, monthly recurring donation 
If you do that, set it up on ACH, not on credit, because if you pay on credit card, like 3% of your money goes to like a company in Texas or something. Um, I mean, you don't have to if you really need the points. I've never heard of anybody that got rich through points, but you know, if that's important, and that's fine, but consider the ACH thing, because it only costs 20 cents a transaction. Um, but whatever. Uh, but I would encourage you to, to consider giving faithfully for 90 days. Uh, consider saying, hey, for the next three months, I'm going to give faithfully. And at the end of three months, at the end of 90 days, you can turn around and look back and say, wow, we didn't starve. God has been good. God has been faithful while we have been faithful. God will continue to be faithful to you. And then the third thing I want to say is that, that some people are struggling financially. And uh, maybe that's because of debt. Maybe that's because, I mean, there's, there's all, you know, various struggles at work. There's all kinds of reasons why, why we may be struggling financially. And what I want to say, um, if that's you, is that your value is not connected to your finances. Um, that your value in God's eyes is never connected to how much you give. And um, you will never be a second-class citizen in God's church because you are a person who struggles financially and that you're not, you don't have the, uh, the means to give generously. Um, you are welcome. You are welcome. Your value and your worth is never tied to how much you give. And if that's you, I would encourage you to give, not because the amount is terribly important, but because it's an, it's an expression of trust that God is the one who provides. That if you're trying to pay off debt, that you might not have a lot to give. Um, but making a decision to say, I'm going to give, I don't know, $10 a month to some cause, to uh, I'm going to give whatever the amount is, $25 a month, the amount doesn't matter, but as an act of faith, and to participate and put your treasure where your heart is, to participate in what God is doing, to give regularly. The amount doesn't matter, but it's an, it's an expression of faith that says, I'm trusting that God is the one who provides my every need, that he will take care of me. A healthy church has all these kinds of people. This is a place of refuge for people who are struggling. It's a place to experience God's faithfulness, and it's a place to grow in our generosity. Um, this is not a sales pitch. This is not a sales pitch. Uh, we move the offering this Sunday. We usually take the offering after the sermon. We move the offering before the sermon today because I don't want anybody to give um, you know, as a result of this sermon today. We are not trying to see like a one or two week spike in the offering. Um, we're talking about money. Like, don't give today. Seriously. Don't, like, if you're like, oh, now I feel bad, don't go home and give online. Because we're not talking about money because we're afraid of something that's going on financially in our church. We're talking about money because I believe with my whole heart and I've experienced in my life that giving is essential to discipleship. It really is. There will be no, no growth. I'm not saying start there but I'm saying it's a step in discipleship. Um, I'm, not give, I'm not saying this because we are in crisis mode. This month actually is, if you um, take out the Christmas offering in December, this month is actually the highest giving that we have ever had in the life of our church. So we are not giving because we're in crisis, or we're talking about giving because we're in crisis, and we're not trying to see like a one or two week spike in giving. We're trying to say it's incredibly important to become a generous person. 
And that maybe you need time to do that. Maybe you need to say, I need some time to wind down some other commitments so that I can give and participate in what God is doing. And that's fine. That's fine. I want to finish with this. You have a Father who loves you. Do you know that you have a Father who loves you? Do you know that you have a Father who is crazy about you? We live in a world that is obsessed with money. We live in a world where we believe that money can solve everything and that money can buy the things that will make us happy. And the truth is that we will either be ruled by things that will bring short-term comfort or we will serve a Father who loves us. You have a God who loves you. You have a God who's given you everything that you need. You have a God who's given you his own son. He hasn't withheld anything good from you. And so will you make him your treasure? Let's pray. God, thank you that you've not withheld any good thing from your people. That it often feels to us like you withhold good things from us. And so we ask you to change our hearts. We ask you to change our hearts to believe that what you say really is good for us, even when we might beg to differ. God, you have lavished your love on us. You have spared no expense to make us your own. And God, we want to be a church that is generous to those who, don't ne- let, who do not yet know Jesus. We want more people to experience the goodness of your lavish love to us. And so would you make us generous individuals so that we can be a generous church? Would you do that in us? We can't do it ourselves. We need your help. But if you do that in us, we we would have to look back and say, only God could have made us this generous. And so we look to the future eagerly, knowing that you will do more than we can ask or imagine. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.